morning, everyone. Social time is over. Please find your seats. Apparently, we don't have as many introverts as we thought, Brad. That's a good thing. <laughs> uh, seriously, hey, uh, I'm Mike, and I'm glad to be here with you this morning. It's always a treat when I get to get down here. It's not that often, so we are in a series that we're calling Defining Moment for the next few weeks. Uh, what we're doing is we are having uh, the teacher, teaching team here share what they are calling uh, a defining moment in their life. And, but not, just, uh, not only uh, the teaching team, um, Kyle Costello, who's uh, planning a church called Imago Day uh, up in Salt Lake City in the near future. He's speaking uh, this morning at North, and uh, we're having a couple other people. But just sharing some key moments. I know last week you heard from Brad as he shared his uh, moment about God calling him and asking him, do you want to be a Christian or a disciple? And uh, I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if, how, how often you really stop to think about th- those things, but, but if you would for just a second, it, really, if someone asked you today and said, could you share a defining moment, would you be able to? It's interesting as I thought about this, because actually for me, um, I've, I've sat across the table from people at my house or wherever, and they've actually shared defining moments in their lives. And, I, and as I thought about it a little more, I realized that probably many of us might not be able to really go, you know what, I think a defining moment for me is this. And the question you have, you know, for me, one of the things that helps define me is music. I love it. I can't get enough of it. You know, it's just a great thing. It's a blessing from God to me. But when you think about it, what defines you? You can define yourself a lot of ways, but it could be your, is it your spouse who defines you? Is it your, is it your, you know, your children sometimes, or uh, your social status, your, your, you know, faith, your parents, the major you have in school? It could be a lot of different things that define you. And um, so when you think about that, it's kind of interesting to boil it down to what really, really, what does define me? And I hope that today, I'm calling, I, I'm not big on message titles, but I actually wanted to title this one, and today's, what I'm calling this message is, Your Defining Moment is Today, because that's what I believe. And uh, I, I want you to know also that every, I think every single person, this is why, why we're having uh, the different teaching pastors share, is because I believe that every person's defining moment is going to be different from someone else's. I heard Dave Nelson give, Dave and Susie shared last week uh, one of their defining moments, and um, I, I would, my defining moment, as I want to talk about it today, is much less of a lightning bolt experience and more of a slow-growing wave, and that's pretty different from Dave. Um, and so, but before I even um, jump into my defining moment, I'd, I'd just love to take a minute and pray with you this morning. If you would, bow your heads and, and pray for just a second. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, We love you so much, and we are grateful that you give us an opportunity to know you, and that you speak to us, and you give us opportunities to draw uh, closer to you and follow you on a grander level. I pray that this morning you would, uh, as I share my thoughts, that they would actually be um, ordained by you, and that what I speak would be exactly what you desire to be presented this morning, and hearts would be willing to listen and, and engage with the conversation that we have. Use this time this morning. Thank you for your love, and we ask this all in your name. Amen. Well, I think one thing that's going to be important, today's going to be very story-driven. 
And one of the things that's going to be really important for you to understand my defining moment or moments as I'm sharing them this morning is to have a little bit of history, some of my history. I know some of you, but not a lot of you, and at not, not a great depth. So one, just going way back, I was born um, to a pastor. My dad was a pastor. And the church that we went to, it was a Baptist church. Uh, the way we, we didn't do it like this. We, the way we did it is you went to church Sunday morning for uh, Sunday school, and then you went to church, and then you went home and had dinner, and you came back for Sunday evening service, and then you went home and came back on Wednesday for service. So I grew up thick, really thick in, in church. And, um, but when I was five years old, my 10-year-old brother uh, led me to give my life to Christ uh, in, in our bedroom. I actually don't even remember the encounter. He tells me about it all the time. Uh, my mom and dad also like to remind me of that too. Um, but, but our family had, we had God in our lives and church was in our lives. But one of the things that happened for me, one, one thing that happened for me early on, I was in ninth grade and I just got to share with you, if you do know me, you'll probably hear stories you've heard before, okay? So uh, enjoy the coffee. But um, <laughs> when, I was, when I was in ninth grade, uh, probably one of my first defining moments for me came. And um, the story goes like this. Uh, Chucky Homebaum, Chucky, we call him, he was my uh, Sunday school teacher. Well, what you need to know about Chucky is, so he was real short, real petite, <laughs> um, and, I, uh, and, and nerdy, bookwormy kind of guy. And for some, non-athletic, and for some reason in his mind, he thought, a good idea would be to try and teach the ninth grade boys Sunday school. Well, I mean, for those of you who have ever met or have known a ninth grade boy, we've got it all figured out by then, right? <laughs> um, and so, but for some reason, he thought that this was going to be a good setup. And the weird thing about Chucky was it was. See, the thing I knew about Chuck, besides him being a nerd, non-athletic, I knew two things about this guy. I knew, number one, this guy loved Jesus. And number two, this guy loved me. And I remember specifically on a Sunday morning, it was an Easter week, and uh, we were sitting, we, we just in the thing, and we're, we're doing whatever we do, elbowing each other, I don't know, writing notes to each other, or I, I don't even remember what was going on probably half paying attention. And again, it was on an Easter morning, and Chuck starts to share about uh, Jesus Christ uh, and the brutalization that he went through. Now, you guys, many of you have seen the passion of the Christ, and it's very moving when you see physically, you see Christ uh, portrayed as just getting this horrible beating. Well, this predates that story, or that movie at least, by some 30 years, right? And... Um, Anyway, as Chuck starts to talk about this episode of Jesus Christ going to the cross and being brutalized, he, in front of a bunch of ninth grade boys, he starts to break down and cry. Well, so again, you see where this is going, right? The ninth graders and nerdy bookworm Chucky crying in front of us. And what you would expect is something... Not so cool. But what actually happened was a hush fell in this classroom. Everyone, it's kind of weird. Even, even now, 
when I think back on this, it's, it's really a moving moment for me. <clears throat> I was sharing it with Suze. Uh, and uh, I don't know why, but anyway, what happened in that moment is he, he begins to share specifically about them <clears throat> using a whip on his back that was tearing the flesh. He's crying. And I remember specifically having this thought. That's weird. See, I'm a Christian. He's a Christian. I don't feel like that. Why don't I feel like that? <clears throat> what I realized in that moment was this. See, Chuck, Chucky had something that I didn't have. Yes, I was a Christian. I was a follower of Christ. But I didn't have this deep, personal connection to who Jesus was and what he meant in my life. And it began a process for me of deciding that that was not okay. I needed to dive into my knowledge of knowing him and having it be more than just information. And again, I grew up in church. I knew I could recite Bible verses. I read the Bible. I knew all kinds of stuff. My dad, my, my dad was a smart guy. He's got his theological doctorate, and he grew this big church. I, mean, I, I knew stuff, but somehow this personal piece was missing for me. At about age, I don't know, roll forward 10 years or so, I, again, now I'm, I'm, I'm done living at home with my parents and uh, still going to church, still uh, following Christ, uh, pursuing him. And, and what happened along this way is, I, 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 I don't know what, I, what happened specifically, but I felt like I needed to push back from everything that I believed and, and just say to myself, I don't really actually understand all this stuff. I don't really get it. I mean, I know what my parents have told me. I know what I've heard in Sunday school. But still, it's not affecting me like it should. And the thing is, I'm wasting a lot of time just going to church and trying to live sort of a moral life or whatever if it's not really right. Not, actually, I don't even know if it's right. So I sort of pushed back from my life, and I said, here's what I'm going to do. I need to find out for myself if this stuff's real or not. I'm going to take a, a little bit of a step of faith I'm going to try and flush everything I've ever learned in church and everything my parents have ever told me and everything religious that I've, I've heard and whatever. I'm just going to try and flush that out of my life and start from scratch, which is exceptionally difficult to do, just so you know. But I tried my best, and I said, my faith step is going to be this, and I'm going to believe that God's Word, his, the Bible, and prayer are the ways that we're going to communicate. I'm going to read his word for myself and try and understand it. And I have someone else tell me what it means, but try and understand it for myself. I'm going to pray and seek his wisdom and so on and so forth. Well, I went through this process, and I have to tell you that what happened was my relationship began to move. It was a defining moment that moved me closer to having an understanding and a personal knowledge that made me feel a little more like Chucky that I could actually understand that what Jesus Christ did for me was substantial and personal. And at that point, you heard the opening song, Worldwide Socialites Unite, right? And that's written about a church. Worldwide Socialites Unite, avoid the dreaded question, the meaning of our lives, and as to God's existence, well, that's your private business, and quite frankly, impolite. Let's keep the light in social. Let's keep the social light. Let's keep the light in social light. (laughs) Clever lyric, too. 
But that was kind of the life I was living. I attended church, hope I'd meet a nice-looking girl or something. I don't know, join the basketball team or whatever. It was a, more of a social club than an actual place where I was going to deepen my relationship with Jesus Christ, and I wasn't okay with that anymore. I felt like, no, now's the time. I don't want the faith of my parents. I want my own personal faith. Move forward a few more years. I meet my beautiful wife, Susie, and um, we get married. And I was in a band at the time, and we went down to Florida to do, uh, there was a youth conference that went on. It lasted for a week in Florida, and Terry Prisk was the speaker there. And I don't really recall much of anything he said, really. Um, I recall one thing, though. During that time, he put out this challenge. And, he, you know, uh, they say that if you do something for 21 days consistently, it will become a habit for you, or has the potential at least. And so he challenged all of the kids that were there to take a 21-day challenge to read their Bible and pray. Again, I don't remember anything else he said, but he said that, and Susie and I said, we've got to do this. We're going to do this 21-day challenge, and it's revolutionized. See, because then, rather than the random, I hope I have time today to read God's Word or communicate with God, it became a priority in my life. We'd get up every day, and we would read the Bible, and we wouldn't miss, and we'd pray. It changed our relationship, because we would talk about what we felt we heard God saying to us. It changed... It just changed our dialogue, it changed our mindset, and it became the priority of our life that we're going to seek after him and we could actually hear from him and communicate with him. Defining moment in our life. Defining moment in our marriage as well. Roll forward a few more years. I'm doing pretty good. I feel like I'm on the the path. I'm pursuing God with all my heart, trying to find out from him. And what happens in this time is uh, I'm teaching and I'm running a recording studio in... uh, and in our house, and, um, and, and I'm really pursuing God, and I start to feel like a stirring in my heart where I feel like, what, not just like, you know, go take an Alka-Seltzer, but a stirring in my heart that's like, I think some big change is ahead of us, but I have no idea what it is. I got nothing. And that went off for a little bit, and Susan and I hadn't talked about it. And one thing we do is on New Year's Eve each year, we sit down and we sort of say, hey, what's this next year look like for us? What are we, what are we hoping God's going to accomplish in our life? What, what are we dreaming for this year? And, and uh, so this has been a few months, and I, I just looked at her and I said, Susan, I, I just feel like uh, I'm becoming discontented with, with my current occupation not that I don't like it. I actually do like it, but I just feel like God's moving me and he's asking, I'm, I'm going to be leaving there soon. I don't know what it is. And, and, and uh, she looks at me and she says, Mike, I feel like the same thing. I think you're right. Let's pray about this. So we committed and we, we, we fasted. Um, this is going to sound so stupid to you guys. I gave up pop. I gave up soda. And Pepsi is like God's gift to humanity. Okay? It, it really is. And I gave it up. I just went cold turkey, and, uh, and, I, and as to say to God, hey, man, I, I, I'm going to give this up until, until you can show me what you have for, for, for Susie and I. And um, so we're going through this, and, and this goes on for a, a few months. <laughs> Nothing. We're getting up every single day. We're reading God's Word, and we're praying. We're going, what do you want, God? Come on, hit me, hit me, hit me. Nothing. 
we get frustrated and say, well, we need to hop this up a little bit. Let's take it to the next level. Let's start talking to some people. So missionaries would come in town. We could talk to them. No, that's not it. We met with a couple churches that we're going to plant. No, that's not it. This goes on for about two years to the point where in my life, I was angry at God and frustrated with him because I was religiously getting up in the morning and saying, God, what do you have for me? Give it to me. I'll do it. Anything. Give it to me. And go. Nothing. I was really, really frustrated. Well, during this time, I was working on a recording project that Kensington was doing, the church we were attending, and uh, we were getting to the end of it, and Stacy Brewer, who was working with me closely at it, he came over to the house. We were doing some final things. And as he's leaving, the studio's in, my, in the basement of our house, and as he's leaving, he, uh, he comes up in the kitchen. We're both, Susie and I are both standing there, and he goes, hey, by the way, I don't know if you heard, Dave Nelson's moving to Utah to start a church. All right, I got to go. See you. And he walks out. And, uh, and uh, Susie looks at me when he walks out, and she goes, that's it. I go, you know what? I think you're right. We prayed about it. I called Dave, and I said, hey, Dave, here's what I'm thinking. I think I'm supposed to move out. This is a longer story, but I'm abbreviating it here a little bit. I said, I think I'm supposed to move out with you. And I'm not just saying move out. I, f- I feel like God's telling me to be the arts director at your church. You start, and I'd love for you to pray about that. Make sure you feel like the same thing. And he did, and he came back and said, yeah, Mike, let's do this thing. And here is the defining moment. See, what I realized during this two years of highly frustrating time before God that what I was looking for was God to hit me with an occupation or something to keep me busy or this grand calling. And what I realized is so simple that it's profound to me. That what Jesus wanted, it's almost as if I heard him say this in a voice to me. Mike, what I want from you, I don't really care about what you do job-wise. Don't really care. What I really want from you is to get up every morning like you have been for the last two years. Search for me in the word. Lay your heart before me and say, what do you want from me, God? I'll do it, anything. Anything. And I'm a little bit embarrassed to actually share that because it's so obvious. What I end up doing with my life, God can be a part of, but if I'm not seeking him and his will, what's the point? I want to look at a passage here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. And uh, I'm just going to read this, and I want to share a little bit with you, but it, it goes like this. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only my present, but n- presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now, the, I think that it's, it's, it's really valuable to understand a little bit about this passage. And in the verses before 5 through 11, what he does, he starts like this, verse 5. He says, your attitude should be the same as Christ. Okay, easy enough. What is Christ's attitude? Then he goes on to say, his attitude was this. Though being God... He chose not to get all the glory and the, acclamation, or the, the acclaim and all the good stuff that would come with being God, but he chose to humble himself and be a servant 
and incarnate into human form and come down and be the servant to all of us to the point of death so that we could have salvation. Translation, Jesus got up and said, what do you want from me? Anything. I'll do it. To the point where in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he receives, gets arrested and is thrown into jail and brutalized and killed the next day, he's in the garden and he's saying, God, please take this cup from me if you would, but, but what does he say next? But not my will. I want your will to be done. So Paul says in this book to the, the Philippians, have the attitude of Christ, which is humility to the point of serving for God's glory. Be willing to get up and say, what do you want from me? You know, Mark Twain says this. It's a interesting, he has many interesting quotes. Fewer things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. You know, and it's interesting when you think about this. So here's Christ, who's God, and he comes to earth, and Paul says, be like him. Oh, okay, wow. I, just, I guess I missed that. It's simple. Let me just be like God. See, it doesn't work that easily. It's almost as though you hear him saying, have Christ's humility, but arrogantly act like you can be like Jesus, okay? Well, well the thing is, what, what Paul is saying here is he's not asking us to do the impossible, He's actually setting before us a pattern for the submissive mind and actually the power to accomplish it. Because what does he say? He, he says, for it is God who works in you. And this is so paramount to what we're talking about today. You see, if we're just trying to imitate, it's not going to work. But Jesus Christ, who was God, incarnated, became human, and now wants to live inside of us and give us the power to do his will. And even, he says... He'll give you the will to do it. So not only is he not talking about imitating, he's talking about letting Christ incarnate in you and make you all that you can be, all that he desires for you, and he'll actually give you the will to do the very thing he's created you for. I don't know about you, but that's super cool stuff because I know how fallible I am. And just tip to you guys, you are too. Just letting you know. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's what he's talking about. Jesus Christ inhabiting your body, giving you the power to do what you want, or what he wants, actually, not what you want. And I, I just want to share another thing. He says, work out your salvation. Let's be really clear on this. He's not saying work for your salvation, Okay. First of all, he's writing to the Philippians who are already followers of Christ. So he's not saying work for your salvation. They already have it. And I think that's really important. He, the, the, the term here, for the verb for workout, carries with it this it, it implied working to completion, like you're working out a math problem. Or you're in a working mind where you're trying to pull all of the ore and the valuable stuff out of the mind. Get it all out of there. Work it out. It's like, work out. 
Be what you can be. Be all that you can be. Don't be the couch potato. But he's talking about this in a spiritual sense. Extract all that you can from the mind. I also want to share with you just four quick things. So here's, here's a takeaway for you guys today and a challenge. I want to share with you four quick things that I think will strengthen you for the times in your life when you come to those defining moments so that you'll be defined by your strength, not by your weakness, spiritually speaking. And make no mistake about it. All day, every day, you guys are defining yourself, and I am too, by every single decision I make, some more important, some less important. But not only by the decisions we make, but by the basis on which we make our decisions. And the four things, again, I don't think these are really the craziest, most unique things you'll ever hear from K2. They're pretty simple. But four things I want to challenge you guys to. Prayer and fasting. If you really want to have a defining moment, spiritually speaking, it's going to be extremely difficult for you to know what God wants from you if you have no idea what he tells you in his word. I challenge you guys today to take that 21-day challenge. And as you do it, do it the same time every day. Make it a priority. Don't randomly let it happen. Get up in the morning, read God's word, which is the second thing, and spend time praying. See, when I pray, not only can I speak and communicate with God, but I can also listen for him to speak back to me. And I read his word, and he gives me practical advice into how to live my life, not in a global sense, but today, as I apply the principles that I learn. The third thing is the Holy Spirit. See, when Jesus went away, he said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit, and he's going to come, and he's going to guide you. Well, how does he guide me? Because you also experience, when you're in this time, you're seeking after God, you experience the Holy Spirit putting promptings on your heart, and you have a choice to go, not down with that one, or, okay, I'm going to act on that. It's just a choice. How do you want to be defined? And as you feel that, and as you move into following through faith, acting on the promptings of the Holy Spirit, your life will change. So prayer and fasting is the first. Reading God's word is the second. Following the promptings of the Holy Spirit would be the the third thing. And the fourth is look at circumstance. Now you live in a crazy world that stuff happens all day long. And here's the mind shift that for me was so helpful to understand this one thing. That if I'm reacting to my circumstance, I'll get whatever I, however I react. When I view the circumstance as a God-ordained moment, he's put me in this position and to ask him, what do you want me to do? Why am I in this position? What do you want from me? It changes the way I think and it changes my response and it defines who I am. So again, the four things, pray and fast, read God's word, follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit, And the fourth is just view your circumstance as a God-ordained moment. It says in Psalm 34, 8, Taste and see that God is good, that the Lord is good. If you're not spending any time following his promptings, if you're not spending any time reading his word, if you're not spending any time praying to him, you are not going to be able to taste. And I'm pretty sure... You're not going to know whether it's good or bad. Taste and see. Take that step of faith and you can define yourself. 
I want to take a few minutes this morning just as we close the message today to look at a story um, that's found in the book of Daniel and it's one of my favorite stories. This actually is a defining story for me in the Bible too. It's three guys, well four guys actually, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These four guys, um, if you grew up in church you may have heard the story, but I'm going to share it anyway. So what happens with these guys is that the Babylon, ba, uh, Babylon uh, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. He comes in and, uh, and, and it actually says that, that God gave uh, King Nebuchadnezzar victory. He, he gave the Israelites to Nebuchadnezzar and, the, and Babylon. And uh, so they, they become captive uh, to the Babylonian Empire. And um, what they do in that process, they take some of the uh, nobles from Israel... And uh, Nebuchadnezzar says, grab some of them and make sure that, that they're the young, healthy, studly, good-looking uh, guys and that, and that they're uh, also really wise and, and smart and given to study. Now, take those guys and we're going to make them uh, servants in, in my palace, okay? So grab those guys. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel are four of those guys. Well, the cool thing about serving in the king's palace is you get some perks, so you get the king's food, you get tr- a little better treatment, you're not the harsh treatment of slaves. And so he, uh, a portion of the king's food was dedicated to these guys. Uh, but Daniel, and Sh- Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go, no, we don't want that. See, because this will defile my, my, my faith. This, this food's not kosher, and I'm Jewish, which means if I eat the king's food, I'm defiling my faith and turning my back on what I believe. Even though I'm captive to Babylon, I'm still going to continue my faith. Well, the chief official that they, 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 they go to this guy and they go, hey, we'd just rather just eat our own stuff. And, is that cool? And the guy says, not really. Because, see, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, just so you know, he's a bit of a nut job. This guy was unstable, wacky, you know, because he says, I, I'd just rather eat our vegetarian diet. And the guy says, yeah, but here's the deal. If the king comes to examine you, because you have a three-year period here of testing, and we're going to see what's going on, after three years, or after this time, if you don't look as healthy as these other guys, he'll behead me. A, a little extreme to me, but... So Daniel says, all right, well, that's cool. Uh, how about give me 10 days? Just give me 10 days. And after the end of 10 days, let's see if I... You're all right. So after the 10 days, those four guys, they stick to their vegetarian diet. They don't eat the king's food. They, they stay true to their religious beliefs. And at the end of 10 days, the guy comes back and goes, we're good because you look better than everyone else here. We'll stick to your vegetarian diet. Not only do they stick to those kinds of things, but daily prayer and fasting, at certain times each day they would pray, and they stuck true to what they believed. Uh, so as, as they're working through this, tenure, or this, this three-year process of evaluation, uh, they get to the end of it, and what happens is they prove themselves to be more noble than anyone else. And the king promotes Daniel, and Daniel says, hey, bring these guys because they're good guys too. And they, they, all three of them get promoted, kind of puts a target on their back to some of these other people who are already in the Babylonian uh, empire that were uh, seers for the king and stuff. So they don't like, they don't like these three guys, okay? And uh, so... Um, they get promoted. Next thing you know, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. It's a really disturbing dream for him. And uh, so he calls in all his seers and astrologers and magicians, and he says, okay, tell me what my dream was, and then tell me what it means. And they're like, well, king, you can't. you tell me your dream, and we'll tell you what it means. 
he gets really mad at him. He goes, okay, I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to trick me. So I'm going to kill them all. Kill all these people, which would include Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. All my advisors, I'm killing them. So they go to get Daniel. They're like, hey, it's your time to get killed. So, um, and Daniel says, no. And he spends some time. He, says, he, he goes to these three guys. He says, pray that God will reveal his message to us. And so they spend some serious time praying. Daniel goes to the king and he goes, okay, here's your dream. You dreamed of this statue, had a gold and silver body and bronze down here and then iron and clay. And, and the king goes, yeah, that's it, that's it. Well, what it means is basically these are the kingdoms that's here and you're one of these. And uh, as they started to deteriorate, what God's telling you is your kingdom has come to an end and you're going to crumble like the statue. Cool? And... Uh, <laughs> What's interesting is this, is, this is so bizarre to me. So what happens is the king goes, wow, that is it. Okay, that's good. Thanks for telling me this thing. Um, and I'm going to promote you again because you're awesome. And you know what? And your God is truly the right God. I totally believe it. Wow. And then what King Nebuchadnezzar does is builds a 90-foot statue uh, of gold to himself and puts it in the middle of the town. He says, okay, here's what we're going to do, guys. Every time this statue's up there, and you're going to hear the horns blow, and you're going to hear the, the zither play, which I was thinking we probably could have used some zither this morning. And uh, the horns blow and all these things. And every time you hear that, what you're going to do is you're going to fall down on your face before my uh, statue that I built here. It's my gold statue. Well, that didn't go over so well with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because they were not going to sacrifice the God that they served. Sure enough, it blows and they don't do it. And these people who had, they're like, oh, hey, here's our chance to take them out. We can rise back to power again. They go tell the king and the king says, all right, guys, I'm going to give you one more chance. So I'm going to, we'll blow our horn and when it happens, you can bow. And then I won't throw you into the furnace. See, because that was a kicker. If you didn't bow down, what he did is he threw you into this furnace to be incinerated. Again, not a completely stable individual. And um, their response is the defining moment for me. It's just so beautiful. And they say this, and I'm just going to read this. It's a little bit of reading. It's Daniel chapter 3, if you want to check me for facts later. Daniel chapter 3, starting with verse 16. So um, they say, before I read that, one other thing. They, the king says, I'm going to throw you in the furnace and you're going to be burned. And what God is going to save you from that? And they go, we're not going to do it, okay? They say this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. <laughs> okay? If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power. Your Majesty, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, Your Majesty, that we'll never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Okay, they're facing death like Jesus in the garden, not my will. And they, he says to them, You want to bow down or you want to burn? They go, We don't care, we're not bowing down. See, because what we know as we sit before God in our time that we've kept dedicated to him, as we sit before him, we go, what do you want from me, God? I know one thing. It's not to bow down to another image. It's to stay true to the God that I'm serving. 
Nebuchadnezzar's response isn't so cool. He gets so furious. One of the translations I read, he said he got purple-faced. He was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than to uh, serve or worship any god except their own god. Key defining moment. A line in the sand. I serve God and come whatever may. I'll take the, uh, the, let the chips fall because that's the direction I'm going. Defining moment. This is whom I choose to serve. And the result is exactly what he says in, in Philippians. That God will, gives us the will to do what we want, what he wants, excuse me, so that God will be glorified. And here are some guys whose defining moment was to do whatever God desired for them. They knew that abandoning their faith and bowing to an image of a loose cannon king was not what God desired. So they refused and stayed true to their faith. Just in closing, I told you know I said at the beginning one of the things that defines me is my love for music and my desire to uh, sing and play guitar and all kinds of stuff. And I get a chance to uh, I record some of the stuff and I did a record a few years ago um, and on there I wrote a song. It's called Morning Prayer. And as we close, Ben, you guys can come on forward, but as we close, um, I just want to share one thing. I'm going to sing this song with you guys. And I'd just love you to think about this and sort of contemplate the words because the, this song is this process for me of getting up every morning, getting before God and saying, what do you want from me today? I'll do it. And let's love you to think about this, and I also want to challenge you guys to think, if, you're, if that's not where you are in your life, and you'd like a defining moment where you feel like God is really de- the definition of your life, you may consider this for you too.